0: Nine ten a.m. interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, I'm Dave Palmer, executive director and host of this program. So I want to thank Janelle Moore, who is associated with the Highland School in Irving, because she has been the one uh, who I have been uh, in touch with to set up this interview. I'm very excited about this because I don't know uh, in all my years of Catholic Radio if I have ever... That I remember interviewed somebody who uh, is involved in healing ministry and I have in studio with me Alan Ames, uh, who is a Catholic evangelist with a gift of healing and also the author of a book called Through the Eyes of Jesus. And uh, as of the time that we're recording this, he is going to be at the Highlands uh, tonight um, uh, for a healing service uh, that was in the past, And but he comes back. He lives in Australia, as you're going to tell from his accent once he starts talking here, and uh, delighted to have him in studio with me. So, Alan Ames, uh, welcome. Uh,
1: thanks for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and God bless
0: all who are listening. Yeah. Uh, last name, A-M-E-S, by the way, A-L-A-N-A-M-E-S. If you put a .org after that, uh, you can get to Alan, uh, Alan's website. Uh, I'm meeting you for the first time. Uh, I know there's a lot of buzz about your events. I'm getting all these emails from people saying you're going to be here, so obviously you got a following, and people people know about you. Uh, can you give us a little bit of your background? Living in Australia now, uh, uh, who was Alan Ames?
1: Well, I was a man who... I, I was baptized a Catholic, but I didn't believe in God. I I was brought up in London, and I committed just about every sin. I was extremely violent. I was addicted to alcohol. I did everything bad that's possible. I was in uh, one of the worst motorcycle gangs there is, and God was the furthest thing from my life. All I thought was about myself and my life. But at the age of 40, when I was in the darkest part of my life doing the most terrible things the Lord started speaking to me and he told me that I should change my life, that if I didn't change my life, I was destined for hell. I, I didn't believe in hell, so I was shown it and it really shook me up and I thought, I don't want to go there. But also I thought at the time I don't want anyone else to go there. And the Lord said to me that, that he loves me, despite all my bad things I've done, that he loves everyone, regardless of who we are or what we've done. He just loves us. And he said that if I embraced his love, I could avoid hell. If I embraced his love, I could find a, a good and a happy life in him. And over a series of events, I, I eventually embraced his love. And when I did, I was filled with complete ecstasy. I was in ecstasy for hours. And in that moment, I fell in love with Jesus. And, and all I wanted to do was love him. And I had this burning desire to serve him. And he said, well, that's part of loving me, is serving me. And he said, I want you to go out to the world and start speaking to people about my love and praying for healing. Now, I didn't have a clue how to do that because I was just just a person, you know, who am I? But all of a sudden things started to open up and I got invitations to churches in Perth because I spoke to my local Archbishop, Archbishop Barry Hickey at the time, And he gave me 100% support, which was really good, and appointed a spiritual director. And now his replacement, Archbishop Costello, continues to support me, which is a great blessing. So I started again speaking in the churches, and and a lot of people were touched and being filled with the Holy Spirit as I I spoke, by the grace of God. But then the Lord said to me, start praying over people. And I thought, "How, how do I do that? You know, I seen anyone pray over anyone he said you just do it and and see what happens because there'll be healings so i started to do it for six months i was doing it nothing was happening i said lord i think i've got this wrong maybe i'm imagining this maybe this is my pride telling me to do this he said persevere i said keep doing it so i kept doing it and then one night i was in a church and i, I prayed over people and 90 percent of them fell on the floor it was it was amazing I'd never seen anything like it. There were cancers healed. I think a blind person was healed that night, a cripple walked. And the Lord said to me, I was calling for your perseverance. As I do with all people in their faith, I want them to persevere because it's that that opens you to my grace and my gifts.
0: Very interesting. So you have uh, clearly the the gift of healing, which uh, is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I remember somebody telling me one time that uh, a lot of people may have a gift, but if you never try it, you never use it. And so you were compelled. It's a, it's a little awkward to, to just say, you know, hey, can I pray over you for somebody who's sick? But clearly, this is something that that uh, the grace that God has given you in order for you know for, for the benefit of His kingdom. And so now you travel the world and you put on events like the ones that uh, I guess there are, there are two of them uh, in in the, the month of March uh, that that you did. Um, what what uh, and people come with all kinds of ailments. Is it spiritual, you know, healing, physical healing, emotional, all of the above? Well, what 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 do most people come needing
1: healing for? Well, they come for everything, and people have get healed of everything but it, it's not me that heals we always have a mass before the talk because the healing comes from jesus in the eucharist all, all i am is like anyone can be a a person who op- helps others open to the grace of god and to be healed by god it's not me healing anyone it, it's jesus that, that's healing so we always have a mass first and then afterwards after i give a talk and then i pray with people and uh, there have been so many healings i mean there's, it's just continuous I I never know who's going to be healed. I never ask people to jump up and say, I'm healed and tell me, you know, now. All I say is that if you're healed, write to me in a few weeks so you can let me know you've had a healing and then it goes to my archbishop. And the reason I do that is because sometimes people in the emotion of the evening can jump up and say, oh, I'm healed, I'm healed. And it's an emotional response. Mm -hmm. But if you get people to respond later, a month or two later, and they write to you and say they were healed then you know that you know it's happened. Um, so the healing comes from God. We also have confession, priest for confession, because healing comes from confession as well. When you hold on to sin, you hold on to the pain and hurt that comes with it. But when you have a true and a full confession, the Holy Spirit through the priest heals your soul. And once your soul is healed, then it's natural that other healing would follow, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual. Um, so... Basically, the healing sacramental. And all I do is talk to people about that healing in the sacraments and help them to open their hearts and to accept that grace, that healing.
0: Alan Ames is my guest, a Catholic evangelist with a gift of healing. He's also the author of a book called Through the Eyes of Jesus. His website, alanames.org, A-L-A-N-A-M-E-S.org. And, you know, two people could come to a service like yours and one person could be healed and another person is not do you have any sense of, uh, you know, of course, this is God's prerogative and God can do whatever he wants, but any sense of why, you know, and like, you know, everybody's going to be healed of everything just because they come.
1: Why, why is there that disparity? Do you have any idea? Well, to be quite honest, I don't know. But I mean, I asked <laughs> ask the Lord and he just says, just get on with it, don't worry about that. Yeah. So what I do is I pray with people. Sometimes a lot of people say they were healed on that night. But often what I've found is that when I meet people years later, who've uh, f- been to one of my talks, and they say, "Well, I didn't experience a healing on that night. I just I didn't think I'd get anything." But you know, about two years later, three years later, my whole life changed, and I got a healing. It was wonderful. So yeah. I think what happens is that for some, it happens when the time is right in their life for them to have that healing, and also, of course, they need to be a little bit open to receive it. But that's not quite true because. I've had complete atheists who've been healed. I remember there was uh, one of the first healings was a man in Perth who was crippled and in a wheelchair. And uh, he came out of desperation for prayers because the doctor said he'd never walk again. So I prayed over him. He was healed. He got up out of the wheelchair, thank God. God healed him. But the amazing thing was that he never returned to church again. Mm -hmm. I, I spoke to him a while. He's got no interest in Jesus, in God or anything. But he was healed. That's weird. And it's yeah. really strange. Very strange, that? yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, it, this may be an odd question, but uh, does the healing... Uh, through which you know through your, the gift that that the Lord has given you doesn't have to be a physical. I mean, like a physical presence. Uh, I you know somebody says, "Hey, show him a picture of my son and see if he," or he's get somebody on the phone. Does there have to be a a personal? You know, do you have to touch them? Do you have to put oil on their forehead? Uh, well, what, what 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 are there any rules of, of healing, so
1: to speak? Well, the only rule is to be open to God. But uh I mean when I'm. In the evenings, of course, I, I, I touch people. I, I lay my hands on their heads. But, you know, people bring photos up. I pray with the photos. It's often there's healings just by praying with the photos for people. I also say that when you come up for prayers, if you if you want the prayers for someone else, just think of them and God will touch them through you. Mm-hmm. And because now, because you're thinking of them, you're sacrificing for them and you're, you're showing love for them and trusting in God, God will pour grace through you to to touch those people and there's been a lot of healings that way. Um, I, I don't do any over the phone because I'd be on the phone all day long and I'd never be travelling. <laughs> so uh, and I'd never get I, in the beginning I did, but I was getting calls from all over the world and I'd, I'd be woken up at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, people wanting prayers. My wife wasn't happy, so I just stopped there.
0: I imagine so. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of skepticism for this kind of work. I think there are some uh, people that have given it a bad name and have tried to profit from it, or you know, make promises that you know maybe they don't even have the gift. Did you come across that? Do you have people that are like uh, yeah I don't I don't you know you're you I don't believe that you know what, what would you say to that person?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean it's true, and there's a, a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of things happen that can upset people. A lot of uh People taken advantage of. But all I say is, look, come along anyway, even if you don't believe, because, you know, you never know, God might reach, reach out and touch you. And in my case, I say to them, look, everything I do is under the scrutiny of the Catholic Church. It's under the scrutiny of my Archbishop, who's appointed a spiritual director. If there's any monies that come in, it's all scrutinised by the Church. So everything... so Because the Lord told me always to be obedient to the Church and let the Church know everything that's happening... And' it's if you do that, then you it 's less likely you 'll fall you 'll make mm-hmm. a mistake, so all the finances are scrutinized by the church, everything I do is scrutinized by the church and uh, and that 's how it should be and in that way, hopefully my pride and my selfishness and maybe some sort of desire for money won't take over mm-hmm. um, so uh, I think that 's a you know, the Lord told me from the beginning to be obedient to the church. And he said, if you do that, that's, that's like a security that that keeps you, helps keep you on the right path. So that's what I try and do.
0: You wrote a book called through the eyes of Jesus. Is this your story? Is it an autobiography? Well, what's the content of that book?
1: Well, one day Jesus said, well, I have to say to you first that, you know, Jesus has been appearing and speaking to me for 27 years now. And again, under the, the scrutiny of the church, um, The book, Through the Eyes of Jesus, about 15 years ago, received the imprimatur of the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, which is a a very rare blessing. One day Jesus said to me, I I want to give you a book about my life. So he said, sit down and start writing. So I I sat down and it was like I was there, but I wasn't. I was watching it, but I wasn't. At the same time, I was getting the words and writing them down. And sometimes it would be, I was inside Jesus looking out and I could feel some of his emotions other times I was inside the apostles looking at Jesus and what he was doing and listening to his words. And so it was me by his grace, not by anything I, I do, taken into his life on earth and experiencing some of that. And so I wrote it down and uh, it's put into that book, Through the Eyes of Jesus. Now, I write everything by hand. The reason I do that is that if you go on a computer, you can change things. If you go on a typewriter, you can mm-hmm. change things. But if you write it by hand, you can't. So there's... I think 400 pages or something like that to the book, all written by hand. And when the church checked it, my spiritual director checked it, there's not a single correction there. It's exactly as I got it, and they can see that because it's in a book that follows a lot, you know, writing book that follows along. lot. There's no pages missing or anything. Mm-hmm. So they can see there's no corrections. It's just as I got it. And when theologians look at it, they say it's theologically sound, there's, there's nothing wrong in it, and it, it's uh, they're very happy with it. Yeah, uh, and it was all given by God, so they should be.
0: Yeah, you say twenty seven years. I think you said visions yes. of Jesus. Yes. These physical visions. Do you do you see him? And uh, I mean, in the flesh. Is it a an image? Or, I mean, what well, well, can you explain that a little bit more? It's a very intriguing uh, uh, statement.
1: Yeah, but there's various ways the. The physical ones happen, but they're the least often, probably 5% of the time. Uh, Other times, uh, I can look at statues and they'll come to life, or or images, paintings come to life. Then I have what I call mind visions, where I see Jesus or Our Lady or saints in my mind. They're, They're there, and it's like I can see them before me, and I can see through them and see everything else that's going on, but at the same time, I'm seeing them. And when I get the uh, locutions, sometimes they're audible, but again, that's the least often. Most often they're words in my mind, but I can have my own thoughts as well at the same time. Um, and as I said, every, every, every locution I get, I write down, the visions I write down, and again, they're checked by uh, my spiritual director to make sure there's nothing wrong. And after 27 years, by the grace of God, not by anything I do. There's been no mistakes. It's been, it's been good. and so I'm very, yeah, thank God for that.
0: There's a, a little debate. Uh, you could say among some Catholic theologians about this whole, dare dear, dear, we hope that no, all men are saved. And some people, you know, outwardly, you know, deny the very existence of hell. You say you've seen it. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that people need to be more afraid of hell than they, than they, they, they are. What, how would you describe hell? You said when you were 40 years old, the Lord blessed you with a vision of hell.
1: Well, what did it look like? Well, first of all, all people can be saved, but they have to make the choice to be saved. Yeah. And the choice is to turn to Jesus, to repent and to live a good holy life and avoid sin as much as you can. And if you do that, then you can be saved. If you don't do that, then that's your choice you know, if anyone goes to hell, they make the choice to go there. Yeah, God's not forcing them there. They make the choice. Um, I, I try not to explain too much about hell because it's quite terrifying. But uh, I'll just give a very brief description. Uh, what When I saw it one time, it was a, a sea of fire. And there were people being burnt in this fire and they were in complete agony. And then they were being lifted out of the fire and then put back into it again and being burnt again. It just went on and on and on, never stopped, and were I in mean, just total agony. And all around were the evil angels and Satan, and they were laughing and enjoying it. And to Satan, it was like a, a symphony of, of screams that he really treasured. But the, the pain was just intense that I could see in the people, just continuous. And when I saw that, I, I st- said to myself, "Then I, I don't want anyone to go to. Hell. This is t- it's beyond anything you know on this wor- world. If you think hell's on earth, you, you don't know what hell is. Um, I just don't want anyone to go there. And that's another part of the reason that I keep doing this, uh, so that hopefully people can turn to God and, and walk away from hell and walk to heaven mm-hmm. by His grace."
0: You know, you, by your own admission, you lived a really horrible life for 40 years. Do you ever ask yourself, why me? Why, why, why did God choose you to have this ministry? You know, you're the most unlikely person. You're like a St. Paul, right?
1: Uh, uh, no, yeah. I, I'm not holy. I'm sure I was. Well, like St.
0: Paul before his conversion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how
1: you were for the first 40 years yeah. of your life, right? But, uh, well, I asked the same thing. I said, why, why are you asking me to do this? He said, well, first of all, it shows that if you can be, be changed if you can come to love me that anyone can uh, you know he said you're a prime example for people that here's a person who didn't love me didn't know me was doing bad things and now all of a sudden he loves me completely and it shows that that i'm he's there for everyone and the, the other thing is he said that so often that you know if people see someone who's been in the church and working and then they or sad, this and maybe get a bit extreme and that. It can, it can turn them away. He said, well, you're just a normal person. He said, continue to be a normal person. Speak like a normal person, but speak of my love and just be who you are. You don't need to change and be, you know, look pious and look holy. Just be yourself. And go out and speak to people mm-hmm. and, and love them in your love of me. And so he said, "If you know, if I can change someone like you, it shows anyone can be changed. And then because the way you are, because you're just you're normal person, people can relate to you. So that's the explanation I got. Mm-hmm.
0: The, uh, I mentioned earlier about how some people may have gifts that they've just never tapped into. Uh, speak to our listeners because those of us who are confirmed, who have been baptized, maybe, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit and these gifts that God wants to pour down upon us, maybe we don't know that we have a gift of prophecy or tongues or interpretation. Uh, how How does one you know, know what gifts maybe God wants them to manifest?
1: Well, first of all, we're all gifted. It's just whether we allow them to be seen in our lives, we allow them to be, you know, we use them as we're meant to, because if we don't use gifts, they're wasted. Now, I always say to people, look, God doesn't just heal people through me. He'll do it for anyone. Every one of you should be praying for healing. If you've got sick relatives or friends, say a prayer over them, because God will heal through people if you... If you trust in him completely, if you open your heart to him and believe that he'll heal, have that faith, then he'll heal people. You should should try it. And then, look, if it doesn't work, you've said a good prayer for the person that might help them anyway, and you might find that you've got a different gift. And so you should just keep saying to God every day, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Show me what gifts you want to give me to use to help others, not to help myself. Because sometimes when we, people have got gifts, they become a bit focused on themselves and think they're wonderful and they're great because they got these gifts. We have to remember the gifts come from God and the gifts are not for self. They're to be shared, always to be shared. And it's in the sharing of those gifts that they grow and they grow. So I, I always encourage people, if you have a feeling inside of you that you should be evangelising, go out and do it. If you have a feeling that you have to be helping the sick, Praying for them or helping them in other ways, go and do it. If you have that feeling inside of you to do these good things, often that's God directing you along the path that He's gifted you to, to, to be in in your life and you should follow it. The problem is that so often we're afraid. We're afraid first of all that people think we're religious fanatics, we you know mm-hmm. we're crazy. And then we're afraid that uh, you know, we might have to change our lives. Because, you know, if you start serving God and using these gifts, your, your life changes. But there's nothing to be afraid of. It it changes for the better. It doesn't change for the worst. But people think, well, you know, I might have to give up my life here and all this that I do here, there, and there. Yeah. God doesn't take the good stuff away from you in your life. He takes the bad stuff away if you yeah. let him. And your life will improve. It will get better. So don't be afraid of stepping out for God. And if people do make fun of you, abuse you, and reject you, as they do to me, I, I thank God and I thank him for those people because I look and see this is what they did to Jesus on the cross. They abused, they rejected him. How can we expect any different? Surely as Catholics, as followers of Christ, we should expect that to happen to us and we should respond as he responded by loving those people, forgiving those people and never turning away from them.
0: Uh, last question, uh, Alan Ames is my guest. Uh, he is a Catholic evangelist with a gift of healing. His book is called Through the Eyes of Jesus. And um, if somebody comes to an event like the ones you're doing here in North Texas, d- does their disposition it, it, it matter uh, as far as if they come very skeptical as opposed to very open and they, they believe that it's going to happen? Does that Does that play a part in whether or not they may be healed of their illness?
1: Uh generally not, but sometimes it can. If they're in a total rejection of God and they deny it, they, they just push God away, well, then they're freely saying, I don't want the healing. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, often the people like that are healed as well. I, I've had many, many that have come along. They come along because their wife brought them or their husband brought them or you know, their parents brought them and they didn't want to be there. They've got no interest at all. They just come up for prayers because they're basically forced to. And then all of a sudden they find they're healed. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and, and, you, and you see this change on it. it's like yeah. shock on their face when they're touched by the Holy Spirit. You, you see it in the instant, their the whole demeanour changes. And, and I often hear from them afterwards and saying, oh, look, I didn't believe I thought it, was, you know, it wasn't true. And, and you came up, you prayed over me, and you said, I, I wasn't, uh, didn't have any interest at all. And all of a sudden, something hit me. It was like electricity going through my body. And it's wonderful. I've been healed and my life's changed. So it's there for everyone and it doesn't necessarily have to be people who just believe and trust and are open they're the best type of course (laughs) (laughs) but even even though but uh, that's not quite true because even the ones who maybe are are closed and are skeptical. Maybe they're the best type because they need converting, don't
0: they? Yeah, very much so. Uh, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for what you do and responding to God's gift that uh, he's given you. Alan Ames is my guest and his website, alanames.org. Uh, I'm trusting there's a schedule there and maybe people can find out when you'll be uh, stateside uh, next time. Uh, and You can follow him and learn more about his healing ministry and also pick up a copy of his book called Through the Eyes of Jesus. Thank you very much, friend. Nice to meet you.
1: Thank you and God bless you and everyone who's listening.
0: Thank you very much and this has been the KTH 9:10 a.m. interview of the week. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I'm Dave Palmer. We are talking about a return, well, return guests um, about a topic we talked about uh, before, but a little bit of a different angle to it. And I've been very intrigued by a local apostolate ministry called Dawn of Mercy. My friend Sherry Havlick, uh, who you might remember, we did many interviews back when she was doing Speakers Bureau with the Catholic Pro-Life a committee back then, now community, and now she has, uh, I guess, a couple years now, she has been running, uh, has it been two years yes. yet, Sherry?
2: We started about three years ago, yeah. but two, from two years, we've been actively doing our programs. Yeah,
0: and so she's president of Dawn of Mercy, their website, dawnofmercy.org, and uh, this is a, uh, an and ministry that helps victims of sexual abuse, and up until now, It really has been for women, because I think typically when we think of sexual abuse, we think that women are the victims, and oftentimes, sadly, they are. Uh, but now uh, she has uh, begun healing groups for men, and we're going to talk about that. Also joining us, no stranger to this studio, I've interviewed him many times for a, very, a variety of topics, is uh, Deacon Charlie Stump. He is Director of Catholic Social Ministry for the Diocese. He's been a deacon for 30 years. Uh, 28 of those has been at the Cathedral of Our Lady Guadalupe, the shrine in downtown Dallas. And now he is at Our Lady of the Lake in Rockwall. So, Deacon Charlie, thank you for coming back and being with us again as well.
3: Well, thank you. for inviting me. We look forward to this ministry and uh... very excited about what we can help others uh... through this process yes
0: and sherry take us back uh... you mentioned three years really actively for a couple of years you were working full-time had a demanding job and for to understand what you told me is that you just at some point said i i need to do this there was a call right uh... well tell us about that that the, the genesis of all this yes
2: um... and first thank you dave for letting us come back again this is it's always wonderful to be here Um, Yeah, I was working at Raytheon for – I'd been there for 40 years and just felt called to do this ministry. I had a lot of association with uh, sexual-type topics, not always bad. I mean, obviously good teaching chastity and human sexuality and things like that with the Speakers Bureau. And had to do a lot of research on you know the goodness of our sexuality as well as we did a program called Sins Against Our Sexuality. And so I found a lot of statistics and it just kept drawing on my heart. And um, I kept telling God, no, I just, I don't think this is for me. I think you're talking to somebody else, hmm. but he, he didn't listen and he was per- persistent. <laughs> and <laughs> so here I am. So yes, I retired from Raytheon probably a couple of years early, but it was, oh my goodness, it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful startup of this, uh, of this ministry.
0: We mentioned how up until now, it's really been focused on women, uh, victims of sexual abuse. What have you done so far as far as how many women have you been able to help? Retreats, conferences, groups. What what, what has been? The, 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 what have you done in these last couple of years?
2: Well, we have two two major programs. One is the retreat, as you mentioned, and the other is what we call our healing group. And the healing group is a ten week session, two hours an evening for one evening a week. And really, at the start, it was very slow because of COVID. Covid mm-hmm. hit just about the time. I mean, within months after I had started everything up, so we couldn't do our healing groups. We couldn't. We canceled our first two retreats. Uh, so we finally we started our healing groups virtually, and that actually turned out to be a really good thing. I think that the women felt safer in their own home behind their screen, where they could talk freely and not 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 mm-hmm. feel that they were right in front of people so it really turned out to be a very good thing Uh, so we've had oh gosh we must be on our fifth healing group now we've done our first retreat and we have three more retreats scheduled this year but we did start with women because we we had to start slow Mm -hmm. I couldn't just start do everything at once so we started with women and we started with English we added the Spanish and now we're getting ready to add the men's groups the same type programs, the healing group and the retreat, separate separate men, separate women uh, he, uh, separate English spanish, obviously, yeah
0: so you shared some statistics before we started because uh, I asked you about the you know, the, the statistics of how many men, I've always heard one out of three women have been the victim of sexual abuse, and I wanted to know how that compared with men. And uh, the statistic you gave to me was a bit startling. I, and obviously, it's lower than men, than with women, but it's still higher than I thought. What What is it with men?
2: Yes, it is, it's one in three for women, and it's one in four for men, okay. which is most people are not aware of that. They they feel that... Or, they hear about the women, you don't hear so much about the men. And Deacon yeah. Charlie can probably go into details on that. But yeah. I, I'm sorry. so I went out to um, the Census Bureau, to the census.gov, because I wanted to see okay, one in four men, how, how many is that? And if you calculate it from the population of men, we're talking over 39 million men, yeah. million, that have been touched by sexual trauma physically. Um, today, right now, walking in the U.S. Wow. And that's, that's just the U.S.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. Uh, Deacon Charlie Stump, again, thank you for being here. Uh, how did you, how and why did you get involved with Donna Mercy?
3: Well, it was first uh, Sherry and uh, Bernice uh, that came to me at the diocese and said, here's a program that we would like to start and we need somebody from the diocese to re- represent us because we're a non-parish-based organization, so we have to be connected. And uh, they asked me to be their spiritual guide on this. But at the same time, because of my background and my dealing with uh, abuse and trauma uh, from my counseling perspective, I felt that it was important for me to be a part of this also. So I, uh, it was easy for me to step in and to... To be a part of this healing process. Uh, I've done a couple of the uh, healing groups uh, with women, as, as uh, Sherry said, online to begin with. And then uh, uh, did the first retreat with women also. So it's been a good process for me and helped me and my counseling to, to recognize uh, the tools that we need to help those that are suffering from sexual assault.
0: Yeah, and sure you mentioned the, the statistic, uh, one out of four, and I think you said, so was it 39 million? Over
2: 39 million. 39.2 to be exact.
0: And that's adults <laughs> in the United States alone. Yes. Um, is these typically, the, the, the abuse happened when they were children and now they're adults, or are a lot of them you know, being abused as adults? Or do you have any kind of breakdown of when this typically happens with a man?
2: I don't have that breakdown with me. That's a very good question. But from what I have read, most of it is when, and I won't say small children, but small children up until preteen mm-hmm. and maybe in the, into the teenagers. Most of it is. Probably more rare, Deacon Charlie, do you agree? More rare as an adult.
3: More rare as an adult, yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
0: And I think a lot of that, when you think of sexual abuse, like within marriages, because men tend to be stronger uh, than women that are, you know, and so the victim tends to be the, the, the woman. You don't think of men being abused sexually by women as adults, but even that does happen.
2: It can, yes. Yeah.
0: And how would you, it's not always physical. Could it could be emotional sexual abuse. Does it, does it always have to be a physical type of abuse? Uh, a rape or you know that kind of a thing or could 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 some of this abuse happen without any any, any physical physical aspect to it
2: The statistic that I quoted is actually physical touch. Okay. That have been abused by sexually some kind of physical touch. So if you add the um the emotional or or verbal sexual abuse it would, that number would actually go up.
0: hmm yeah. And Deacon Charlie, you say that you've dealt with this in counseling sessions before. What, obviously, you can't give names, but generally speaking, when you speak to men who have suffered from sexual abuse, how does it manifest itself as far as their relationships, their stability, maybe some kind of... Uh, Getting into drugs or alcohol dependence. What 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 happens to these people? You know, generally speaking,
3: you're, you're right on target there because oftentimes we think of PTSD coming from war, but actually PTSD can start in our infancy and as children, and especially when we've been sexually assaulted as a child. But as Sherry was saying, it's generally physical, but there is a lot of sexual abuse with pornography. Just. uh Inviting somebody to watch something with them or something. That's oftentimes it, it starts that way. But what I've seen over the time is not only do they end up coming forward as a result of their addictions, uh, to drugs or alcohol or something like that, but oftentimes these men turn out to be perpetrators themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's very scary, uh, because they are abused as children. They end up Taking it out on other children growing up, and they can even become the perpetrator as an adult. So, uh, I, I think there's all sorts of forms that it, it shows. We, you know, and there's not really, it's like saying I've got cancer and there's a, a magic pill for that. There's really not a magic mm-hmm. pill for sexual assault, but because there's such a variety of it and such incidences along the way. And we keep it bottled up inside uh, as men, we don't want to. Uh, show that we've been hurt along the way. And so I I think that's what we do is we recognize we actually come in, the men come in to me because they've got a problem with anger or they've got a problem with addictions or whatever it may be. But really the underlying source of this was the assault that they encountered as a child Mm -hmm. or somewhere in their teens, maybe even. Does it matter
0: if it happened one time or a hundred times? Does the... Frequency matter, or I, I don't know. Again, if that if you've done any kind of research on that, or uh, uh, does well, it matter uh, yeah, as far
2: as the healing, or does it just matter? The, the impact
0: on a person? You know, if something, if, if there was one incident, a babysitter came over when the kid was ten years old, as opposed to like an ongoing kind of
3: grooming or you know, abuse, is is that does that play a factor in? I think it plays a factor because it's it's normally one time they become vulnerable. Uh-huh. And those that are grooming them recognize their vulnerability to where it becomes a ritual. And when it becomes a ritual abuse, that's, that's really traumatic. They carry that for a long ways, but. Uh, the severity a one time can even be extreme. So, yeah, so. yeah.
0: I look around the the culture and all the confusion right now with the transgender movement and uh you know it just it wasn't even that way when I was a kid and there's so much confusion. Sherry, do you think a lot of the confusion that even young people have today has to do from abuse? Did uh that that maybe an abuse that happened when they were younger confuses the even just maybe even. The, the the simple thing of like what ju- sex they are what gender they are is that do you, is there a cause and effect between that do you there think there
2: definitely is now and a, and not to say that every time it means that it's sexual abuse it, there can be other types of abuse like even bullying so if somebody is bullied um, as as a boy they might think well if I was a girl they wouldn't be bullying me they don't yeah. bully the girls they only bully the boys but sexual trauma definitely adds more to that. Because then, especially as young boys, if if they their first sexual experience is by a man, whether or not they wanted it, which general, I should say they didn't want it, but yeah. obviously the body reacts whether you are wanting it to or not. So their body is reacting, so they think, oh, I must – I must like men because mm-hmm. that is what's been in their mind that, well, my body reacted to this man. So, therefore, I must like man. So, maybe I'm, maybe I'm really feminine.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then then th- that just starts a, an avalanche of, of problems. And, well, uh, right. we're talking about uh, Dawn of Mercy. My guests are Sherry Shirley Havlick, who is the president of Dawn of Mercy. They're located online at dawnofmercy.com. Uh, dot org and also Deacon Charlie Stump director of Catholic social Ministry for the Diocese of Dallas and a spiritual advisor for Dawn of Mercy now uh, this is a, a very you know important time in the the history of your apostolate because for the first time you 're starting a healing group it 's going to start the week of um, april twenty fifth it 's going to be weekly for for ten weeks i guess thereabouts uh, tell us more about that and what exactly men you know, can can expect if they do sign up for this.
2: So the healing group is where we kind of deal with the here and now. How has this affected the way that I am now? So it helps them to deal with things like triggers, um, coping, recognizing when something, um, their, their reactions that this trauma from a long ago, how it's affected them now. And we help them see through that. Um, and to come up with more healthy ways of of being able to deal with today. Mm-hmm. Where the retreat is more, it goes back to where their story, um, it's a safe environment for them to be able to tell their story and to come to some healing both emotionally and spiritually. So the healing group really is kind of a here and now to f- deal with their anxiety, their fear, their, as Deacon Charlie mentioned, anger. Um, if they have trouble with anger so it helps them with the he- what how to deal with it right now so that they can and then they can go on to more healing um, so it, it meets two hours one evening a week for ten weeks and in there we 'll have counselors as well as a deacon
0: Okay, and this will be uh in person and online or just in person For
2: right now it will be online okay online. The, the healing group is online it 's virtual okay we're planning that right now, and the, the, we are planning a retreat later in the year, which will be in person okay. the retreat will be in person
0: um i 'm uh, you know if if a guy 's listening right now and's like you know they 're talking to me, and really, I do have this, and like you said deacon charlie but maybe it 's been bottled up for about. Uh, you know, a couple of decades or who knows how long, is there a certain therapeutical element in being able to not only share your story with others but also hear other people's story and
3: realize you're not alone, right? I think that's the important thing is that there, you're not alone but that there is help for them and to help them identify why this is all happening to them. Why are you they angry? Um, I recognize that anger is not a feeling, but it's a response to the feelings that are underneath there. And, and whether that be shame, whether it be guilt, whether it be pain or fear or whatever it is, we respond in anger. And so helping them to identify where what's the source of that anger, where is it coming from? And oftentimes it's coming from the assault that they had when they were younger, but they haven't labeled that or they haven't put their finger on it. It's like like getting a splinter. And if you get that splinter and it gets infected, It's not going to get healed until you get the splinter out. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get healed from the sexual assault until you start dealing with it. And the beautiful thing about the the healing group is that it gives you tools to work with to start to help yourself move forward. And I think one of the hardest things for men, too, is forgiveness. Yeah. Because forgiveness is about them. It's not about the person that hurt them. It's not about dealing with that person and going back, but it's about dealing with themselves and being able to let go of that pain and turn it over to God, to let let that pain be put into Jesus' hands because he came to help us, to set us free from that. And so forgiveness is about me. Not about the abuser. Yeah,
0: I sense uh, just in, in hearing y'all speak, so many similarities to like Rachel's Vineyard or Project Joseph, where something in the past you've held on to for a long time, you, you need you need to forgive. Sometimes you got to forgive yourself or forgive somebody else. Uh, but it, it just and, and I've heard the testimonies of when people finally get that. You know eight hundred pound grill off their shoulders and how free they feel and you 've probably experienced this from some of the sessions and retreats you 've done with the women already right
2: oh definitely <clears throat> we have such great feedback from the women um, i mean i can I can probably read forever some of their feedback, but uh, Um, Like one of them said that she had searched and searched for a retreat to help her start her healing journey of sexual abuse. She felt lonely and that no one understood her. This retreat was God sent and not only helped me on a wonderful path towards healing, it filled me with tons of knowledge that helped me understand what I was feeling was normal. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that people don't recognize that it's okay to feel shame and trauma from a traumatic experience. They think they're not supposed to feel shame. They're not supposed to feel how they're feeling, but that is normal.
0: Is if the perpetrator is still alive and maybe even still somebody that's in their life, is it good or bad, or wise or unwise to actually, you know, after going through something like Dawn of Mercy, do you do you have do you have to talk to that person or is it better to just let's keep them keep them at you know
3: away I think it's learning how to acknowledge that person without confronting them yeah because obviously 99% of the time that person going to deny it mm-hmm. but it's being able to learn how to let go of that person and and uh, seek healing for themselves not for the person now yeah. then of course, if it's something that uh, has been recent and the the police need to be involved, or CPS needs to be involved, if there's other children that you know that are in the presence of this uh, adult, then yeah, you may need yeah, and you can speak up anonymously with CPS, but you might have to, but not to confront the person themselves, but to let the authorities take care of those type of things.
0: Okay. And the the session that begins uh, the week of the 25th, you said two hours in the evening online. Is there a cost? Uh, Do they need to pre-register? What what should they do if they're listening right now and they're interested?
2: So they can call our helpline number, which is 469-613-3296, or they can go to our website at dawnofmercy.org. And they can register either of those ways and at dawnofmercy.org on the website. that just go to the contact us page, and they can email us. But there's also more information on the website that they can look at. Mm-hmm. There is a cost for the healing group, which is $150. So that's about $15 a session, which, as counselors go, that's that's really really cheap. Yeah, for two hours. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's, yes. Uh... yes. And we do have two counselors. Always, so they. I mean, it. it, There is some counseling. It's learning. It's helping them. It gives them tools, but it also has counseling techniques.
0: And this is only for adults, right? If somebody's uh, child, Mm -hmm. God forbid, you know, is ten years old, this this is not for children. This is for adults who have males who have suffered from some kind of. Uh, Sexual trauma at some point in their life.
2: Right. Our programs right now are for adults. Now, if somebody has a child that something has happened to, please call us anyway, because we have counselors that we have specifically vetted and have been through a trauma recovery program. So they are very well equipped to help.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just can't help but be saddened that the the existence of even of this of course we're all wounded and that we have wounded natures but something so beautiful as sexuality right. gets so twisted and turned around and it's almost diabolical that something so beautiful that actually brings new life into the world uh, can be can be uh, uh, abused um, like this. Uh, what about somebody, a wife who's listening and says, "You know, my husband, uh, you know, needs to go." <laughs> what would your advice be of a of a you know a secondhand party? I guess you could say who it, it's not them, but they they know somebody who needs to go or a coworker or a, a friend. What would you say?
2: So they can go ahead and call us. And let us know. We can help them with, okay, here's how you might approach your husband. It might be a little bit harder with a colleague unless they have already approached you and let you know that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something in their past. But, you know, sometimes the best you can do is just to give them the information unless you have, Deacon Charlie, if you have other advice. No,
3: generally, if they've reached out to their spouse or if they've reached out to uh, someone else in their life, that usually says that since the message that yes, I need something, I recognize it, mm-hmm. and so calling uh, the Dawn of Mercy uh, line and getting some advice on how to approach, reapproach that person, I think it's very important. Yeah, uh,
0: somebody may be thinking like, you know, if I go to something like this, they're going to tell me I need to get an attorney and I need to bring a suit against this person. Are those two completely different things? If the person's still alive, where there's you know legal action, do you advise on that, or is this strictly? you know, emotional and healing. And and that other part is, you know, we'll let the attorneys deal with that.
3: Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.